On this episode, burritos once again establish themselves as our favorite superfood, crazy scary deer, and the Jack Daniels approach. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Today's guest is Ashley Nordell, and we're very excited. She is an ultra runner, a coach, a mom, and we are really excited to talk to her today about how to go fast, how to go slow, I don't know, how to go far, how to go short, <laughs> all things trail and, tra- and I believe trail running, correct, Ashley? Cool. Go ahead and uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about you, because that was not a great introduction. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so I am a mom of two young girls, and I coach with Team Run Run, and I coach everyone from um, somebody who wants to improve her mile time to people training for 100-mile races, um, so that's been really rewarding. And I actually got into ultras about 17 years ago, because my parents both ran them. And my dad still does. He turned 70 this year and he and I still run together. So it's kind of a, it's neat. I hope that, you know, when I'm 70, I'm still doing what I'm doing now to the level that he's doing them as well. Um, So I guess you could say it's kind of a a family sport for us. That's amazing. Um, For our listeners out there who may not know what like an ultra run is. So what sort of what categorizes a run as an ultra run? Yeah, so I mean, typically ultra marathons are considered anything longer than a marathon distance. Uh, the next distance often is a 50k, which is 31 miles, and then they kind of tear up from there a, a 50 mile race distance, 100k, 100 mile, um, or I mean, nowadays even further than that. But basically, anything longer than a marathon would be classified as an ultra marathon. And they're on both uh, roads and trails. I just tend to do the trails a lot more. It seems to, um, my body responds better and I just enjoy the trails a lot more as well. So just a random question, would 26.3 be an ultra marathon or, or, or do you think it has to be there? Like, you know, is there like a miles, like a, a 10th of a mile is not enough to classify as well. I'm just curious. I'm just wondering. I, I don't know. Yeah. Cause you know, you have that warm up, you know, a little warm up run and a little post run, you know, yeah. cool down. I think we might have done that, Jason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I did the LA Marathon in like 1997, and I was so far back at the start line, I ran at least 0. 0.2 of a mile <laughs> to like just to get to the start line. So I don't know, maybe I've done an ultra marathon. Maybe an ultra marathon runner, I would say I that works okay. Yeah, I can add that to my Paul Mares. <laughs> so Ashley, what was um, I guess sort of if you think back on your running career, um, what? What are some highlights? Like, what are some races that really stand out for you? Oh, yeah. Um, Good good question right off the bat. Um, I would say my first, maybe my first 50K, just to start with, because um, my dad did it as well. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I went out too fast. And it was kind of like a a bit of a death march. Um, And so that one just really sticks in my head because it was sort of what started it all. And then I would probably say my first 100 miler just because um, it was Western States and 
it was back in 2004, back when you could get in with, you know, one ticket and it was um, it just, it was always like the one I had heard about and I jumped into it really quickly. So I ran it within a year of doing my first ultra and it went as well as one would expect with that much experience. I mean, the last 30 miles were, you know, taping bags of ice, you know, to my knees and kind of struggling, but um, that the fact that that didn't make me quit forever is probably a good sign, but it was pretty brutal. Yeah. How do you run? How do you run with bags of ice taped to your knees? Duct tape. You know, after that, I always have duct tape with me. Um, no, it's a, it's kind of a crazy story. My buddy, Sean Meisner is kind of one of the people who got me into the sport a little bit too. And he was pacing me and um, I, I had been kind of injured leading up to Western States. And so I didn't train well at all. And I just decided one of those things where I was, you know, I was really young and I thought I'll just go and see how far I can go. And then at about maybe a hundred K distance or so the downhills just started to really hurt my IT bands. And so at the next aid station, he got Ziploc baggies and filled them with ice and then just took duct tape and wrapped them around and every aid station, he would tear them off and, I don't know why all the aid stations had duct tape, but then they would tape them back on. And, and then the finish line picture has the duct tape and the bags of ice and then a shirt wrapped around like my knee trying to hold it all together. Um, so that, that finish line picture is, uh, it, it really brings on the memories for sure. Hey, hey, if it's good enough for NASA, right? If it's good enough for NASA, why not for your knees? Right. No, I, I feel like every ultra runner should have duct tape in their bag now. Uh, okay. So one of the things that we like to do with our show notes is we'll put together a little bonus section with some photos. I need to see a photo of that finish with the duct tape and the shirt. And yeah, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. it's uh, Well, and then there's a photo of me in the medical tent with an IV hanging after that too. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> better. Wow. wow. And you're still at it. Wow. <laughs> so so let's go back to even before you started doing ultras. Did you run cross country or tracking like, you know, as a kid in high school and junior high school? When, when did you first start just running for exercise? Um, yeah. So it, because my family was all into running, I think that's sort of why I maybe didn't like it at first. Um, I have a younger sister who is really good at running. And when you're the older sister, maybe who's not as fast, um, that probably was part of it. And I played soccer and basketball and kind of played all those sports. And then I would do track in high school just because that season was open, but I just didn't really love it. And then my senior year, um, I decided I'm not going to do track. I'm going to do tennis. And so then I played tennis and it wasn't actually until college when I was just kind of missing the camaraderie of being on a team and um, missing playing sports that um, I was able to just, um, track season was, was there and I thought I'll just give it a try. And I just really loved the teammates that I met there and they convinced me to then try cross country, which I'd never run because it was always during soccer season. Um, and so I think because maybe I was a little separated from the family of runners and I was down in California and it brought me a team, that's where it kind of took off. And then at some point in college, some roommates decided we should try a marathon and we kind of jumped into that. And I think that made me realize I really liked that longer distance. And then right out of college was when I jumped in into the ultra scene. So it was, it was like a, maybe a fast trajectory from the short distance to the long distance, but all my life I'd been around runners just because my whole family is, is into running for sure. It's interesting 
because you think of running as such like a solitary thing, right? It's such an independent pursuit. It's such a one person thing. So it's really fascinating that it was the team aspect that really made that got you into running and running long distance. I think it's interesting. With the sports I played in high school, teams were such a big thing and being in college and um, it was a small school that I was at and just it seemed like everyone played sports and that had always been my maybe identity in high school. And so missing having that as something that, you know, you would do daily, uh, just when I found that team and, and it gave me a whole group of friends that were, you know, harder to find when you're going to, to college out of state and you don't know anybody. And um, so, yeah, it was the team was definitely um, what made me, I think, really enjoy it off the, the start for sure. Yeah, I know too. Um, I crewed for the Angeles Crest 100 a couple oh, of times, yeah. um, and it's and another cool thing about those about the ultra races is there's really a community aspect to it. I mean, the runners know each other, the crews get to know each other because you're all hanging out at the aid stations together, um, and it's actually like, it's a very fun and it's actually a very fun scene, grueling and like it's like serious but not if that makes any sense. It's a very Absolutely. cool environment. Casey in, in particular, the Angeles Crest. That was actually my second hundred and then I've done it I think maybe four times because we when we lived down there when we lived in Mount Baldy and we would kind of go up to the mountains you're looking right at that whole Angeles Crest range and so there's a I have so many good memories from training out on the AC course and just the people from that community and um, I would say it's probably one of my favorite hundreds just because maybe it's like that home course when we live there and um, I really love training up on those trails and there is, there's a whole community and if that little town of Wrightwood where it starts, that's such a big thing for it each year. And I know this year, a lot of the course burns, so I'm actually not sure if they're going to, if or when they'll be able to have that race again. So we're all very familiar with Mount Baldy. I just have to, I'm assuming that's like a, that was a training run for you, like popping up and down. So I'm just, I'm just curious, like what was an average Baldy day for you? Like living up there? <laughs> I'm, you know, I really miss Mount Baldy. I, I don't, there's parts of Southern California that I don't miss, but Baldy was such a neat place. And I should um, start with, so I, I lived there when I was in, um, I guess I was student teaching. So it was outside of graduate school. So I'd gotten into the ultras and we lived at um, our third place. There was Chapman Ranch, which if you know Baldy and know the Chapman Trail, it was actually named after the owners of that ranch. And so we had such a neat little spot so we could run, um, from there, our first cabin in Baldy was right at the top of the Bear Canyon Trail. So like where the where you the road ends and the trail starts, the little cabin perched on the side of the cliff with like 40 stone steps to get to it was our first Mount Baldy uh, <laughs> home. And so, yeah, so running up those trails um, were were great. Like I, I totally miss, I feel like I was a much better hill runner when we lived in Mount Baldy because everything's straight uphill. Did, did you have a, a favorite route? Um, I really, we, I think the three T's. So where you go, you know, up and you hit, we you can go up like the ice house trail and then go across. We had a really, really strong, um, like tight knit running community. When we lived in Southern California, we had a running group called the Daybreakers Cause we would meet, um, you know, down the mountain in Upland area or Claremont uh, on some mornings before, you know, 5 a.m. And so during the week we would run there, but then on the weekends we would all run together on the trails, whether it was Baldy or out on the AC course. And 
Um, and so it, we would, you know, go up Mount Baldy in the winter and all be in shorts and we'd be amongst all the skiers and all their ski clothes. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we would do, sometimes we would run from Baldy to Wrightwood, run down to the bakery, eat a cinnamon roll and then run back up and then run to back to Baldy. How far is that? It's not, it's really, um, I want to say it's, it's 17 miles one way, maybe it's not as far as, you know, <laughs> world, it's really far, but it's, um, you're, it's such slow going because you're going over, you know, you go up Baldy and then you go kind of some sketchy little bit of, um, peaks to get over to the Wrightwood side. And then you hit down the PCT, um, and then, you know, drop down into town and then you've got to go back up Acorn trail and go back across again. Yeah. Sadly, I've been looking, I, I don't think you'd be able to do that right now with, the. Uh with the fires, the waterman's gone. Yeah. Waterman burned. Um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of really nice stuff burned. It's, it's very sad. Yeah. It's, it's sad. I know like when we lived in Mount Baldy, we had to evacuate one time for just a small fire that popped up there, but it's kind of a scary area because you're living in this Canyon and there's really kind of only one way in and out of it. Um, so a lot of people who live there have their own fire hoses and, you know, as soon as the, if, you know, fires pop up, they go and screw them into the hydrants there and, it seems like, you know, the people, uh, the residents of Mount Baldy kind of take on the firefighting as well. Yeah, definitely living your trails. I mean, because now you um, live in Sisters, Oregon. And so there was always the fires in Oregon this winter. So definitely being a trail runner that's been wanting to live near trails. That's definitely one of the one of the hazards for sure. Yeah. And it feels like every year we have, you know, one big fire out this way. We had a few years ago where the start of school was delayed because, uh, fires, just the, the air quality was so bad in town, but the fires were just, you know, right above us on Black Crater area. And um, yeah, it's such a, you know, it's such a high desert climate. And so it's very dry and it's kind of a perfect storm for fire season out here. Just like Baldy was out there too. So Ashley, tell me a little bit about what a typical week looks like from a running perspective? I mean, you know, what, what, do you, what do you do? Do you run every day? Do you run, you know, double digit miles every day? Or what does that look like? Yeah, um, you know, it would vary greatly kind of depending on if I'm training for something or not. But um, I typically don't run every day. I try to do at least one day off um, a week. And in the summer, my husband and I both being teachers makes the summer like a great time to train. Um, one, our high country is all open so we can get up to all those great trails. And then also just we have more time as well. So um, right now, just the fact that my girls are in school and I'm not teaching, I actually have a little bit more time during the week to get some runs. And so I try to get, you know, a long run or two in a week. And then um, my husband always tries to convince me to do speed work. So I'm really going to try that this year. <laughs> it's if, if I'm left to my own device, it seems to be the first to go. But I, I feel like I, it benefits me if I do it. Okay. So you need to qualify for somebody like myself. What does a long run sound like? Because I think that could be I was very relative the same depending thing. on who you're talking to. <laughs> it's funny because... Um, for me, a long run maybe is not all that long in the ultra world. Like 20 miles for me would be a good long run. Um, and if I, you know, if I were like training for something specific, I would do, you know, maybe that back to back. And the exception of that is, you know, if we're doing either a race or like an adventure run, um, you know, Jeff, you would know out here, there's just so many great routes. Like you can run around the three sisters, you can run around Mount Hood, you can, um, 
hit up on the PCT. So we might go and do that loop around the three sisters. And that's, I think like 48 miles, but that's sort of a, an exception, like a, a big adventure, not like a typical training run for me by any means. Yeah. See, for me, that would be a multi-day backpacking trip. <laughs> it's probably more enjoyable that way. There's times where I'm not riding it thinking this would be a lot more fun over three days. <laughs> Jeff doesn't even run to train for his runs. Uh, yeah. So 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 yeah, getting him to, to, to jog is pretty difficult. <laughs> I have to admit, I I really don't I, okay, I ran track and I ran cross country in high school. And I've run uh two marathons and I don't know how many half marathons, a bunch of those that Jason and I have done a bunch together, but I don't really like running. And so I typically don't run. I'll, I'll, I'll train on a bike. I'll hike. I'll do other things. And the best half marathon time I've gotten so far was in Oakland. And my training existed mainly of going to spin classes. (laughs) like speed workout right in there it would be good for you yeah probably so yeah yeah i always joke in triathlons that i love swimming i do the you know i like biking and i run because i have to because it's between me and the finish like (laughs) like i have to do it I, i totally i honestly i hated to run growing up and so i my um college coach laughs because I had used to say, you know, like 3000 meters is way too far to race. And then, you know, he would see what I did after college. And so it's funny. Yeah, I totally felt the same way. And I think there's a hump you kind of have to get over to where until running, maybe say an hour is comfortable. It's hard. And I, I, when I had to start back up again, after having kids, I remember thinking, I totally get why people who are just starting running quit because it's so hard from the start. And until that sort of hour feels comfortable, you're kind of always in that discomfort stage. And, um, and I think that was maybe part of my problem growing up is I never trained enough to make running never feel easy. So it always felt kind of like work. Um, and now that, you know, once I have that base now that not every run feels like work, so I can enjoy it much more than I could when I was younger. I'm the complete opposite of, of Severia and Jeff. I actually really like running. The downside to that is that I am really like the worst possible physical build to actually run. I am not in any way, shape, or form built like a runner. I just like it, you know? It's obviously getting harder. My my shortest runs I used to do were six miles, and now it's three miles because I just, I you know, knees, hips, just everything. Everything's caught up with me. But it is a lot. Of, I, I do like it. So I think what's kind of neat about ultras is, you know, when you look at the starting line, you get an age range from, I don't know, 20s to my dad still does them and he's almost 70. And you also just get a range of like all different types of people out there. It's it's different than like maybe when you're going to like seeing a marathon and it just feels like there's just like sort of a that, that typical like runner look. And ultras, you get such a great variety and it kind of shows that there's not like one single age or body type that you have to be to to, to be a runner, really. Yeah, I think the the last half marathon Jeff and I did pretty much ensured that I don't think I'll ever do even another marathon. I did the one. It was like so long ago. And I think, you know, the, usually like the first half of the half marathon, you know, you're kind of juggling. Oh, this is great. I should do a marathon. And then by the end of it, I'm like, yeah, no, I think half is about as far as I'm going to do from here on. So ultra, 
I don't know. Maybe there's some magical thing that happens after like mile 30 or something. And there is because you know. in an ultra, you get to walk a lot more than you do <laughs> in marathon. There's the hills and they give you a total excuse and they feed you brownies and Coke along the way. So I think you should skip Wait, cocaine, cocaine or, or Coke. Oh no. Coke. Okay. All right. I would say, well, maybe after all this would be, no, I'm kidding. This is a family podcast. I apologize for that. <laughs> so Ashley, um, when you go out for like one of your longish runs, like let's say twenty ish, like one of your averagey runs. So what's sort of your setup? You know, what do you have a brand of shoe that you like? What do you do a hydration pack? What kind of nutrition do you do? What's sort of your average? Do you are you like a music listener or not music listener? Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I do a pack and um I because I do care if I'm going up into the mountains like like high country mountains, I actually will carry like a Garmin inReach tracker with me. And that's sort of new to me this year. And I've been a lot better about doing that just this year in general. I feel like we're doing a lot more solo adventures. And so I just feel like more responsible, I guess, um, adulting a little bit more, bringing that out there. Um, so I have a pack for, so I can carry that and water if it's a long run and it's summertime, I'll carry a water filter too. I've had so many runs go south that I finally learned and, you know, just stick a filter in. I have one that can screw onto a small flask. So I'll just throw it in, even if I don't think I'll need it. Um, my, my kind of go-to thing, what I say when I'm doing a long run in the mountains is if I ever have to get rescued, I want them to at least be able to say, but she was prepared out there. And so I always think about what things I would have with me. So I always throw in a jacket cause I never want them to be like, she didn't even come prepared with a jacket up in the mountains. Um, and then, yeah, then the, I'll throw in, you know, calories and I always bring my phone and then, um, if it's somewhere really steep, sometimes I'll bring trekking poles with me. But often, you know, so many months out of the year in Sisters when the high country is under snow, it's actually quite flat here just around town. So I think people always think we're running mountains year round, but um, our mountains already are, you know, covered in snow. And I was running up in the snow today and it's, it's great, but some of the stuff you can't get to necessarily. Now, now when you say calories, are you doing like, sports stuff like gels or powders and that or are you just doing like cookies and fruit and snacks and and, or, and real food uh, so that's sort of my biggest challenge i can kind of eat whatever on a training run but my stomach is sort of the first thing to go for me in in long adventures so in a training run i can throw a burrito in my pack and often eat it and then if it's a race i just can't um but i really struggle with gels i don't like the consistency and the taste and so if, if I could ever figure out the nutrition side, I'm sure ultras would, you know, feel even more enjoyable, but on a training run, especially if it's cooler temperatures, it's often whatever I have in the house. Like I raided my kids Halloween candy recently to get some, I ate Kit Kats today. Um, it's like the candy that they won't miss that I took is usually <laughs> what I have. Or even like those toddler, um, like squeezy food things. I'll bring those, um, if they, my girls like to bake. So if they bake something, then sometimes that's what I bring. That's probably part of my problem is that I don't actually like have a plan when I train. And then when it comes to races, I kind of struggle with it a little bit, but I'll do sports drinks for electrolytes and stuff too. So apparently burritos are like a super exercise food. We had a previous guest, a legend 
who's a, a speed hiker and got a bunch of FKTs, and he would get frozen burritos. <laughs> and just as the ones would fall out, he would eat them. along the way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, everyone out there, the new superfood is uh, frozen burritos. Right, yes. Just the basic, like, bean and cheese. I tried one time one that had all sorts of things in it, and then that was sort of a bad idea, so... Stay, stay away from the onions and the other pieces in your burrito if you can. So Ashley, talking about planning and stuff, Ashley, uh, you mentioned that you're a coach. So how did you go from, like, where did your coaching career start? And what kind, do you only coach running and long distance? Like, tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, and one other thing. Explain what the Jack Daniels approach is, because I'm confused. Yeah, so I started coaching in um, graduate school. And as you probably know from Southern California, a lot of those schools have GAs, which are grad assistants. And what it means is you go and you are kind of an assistant coach to a head coach. And in return for your coaching, you get to go to graduate school, like the school covers your graduate school. Um, And so that's um, where I guess the coaching began. So when I was in graduate school for two years, I coached cross country and track. And actually, our, we did use the Jack Daniels approach quite a bit in our, um, it, in our coaching back then. And then um, after, when I started doing ultras, it kind of be, it came on a little bit more organically where just someone um, would contact me. Often it was actually for Angela's Crest. They were running AC and they knew I had done it and asked for me to coach them to get ready for that race. And then three years ago, I was approached by Matt and Julie Urbanski, who have what's called Team Run Run. And they have a group of coaches. And back when they asked me to join, they had about half a dozen coaches and they wanted some more females. And now they have like 90 coaches. And what people can do is they, if they're looking for a coach, they can go to Team Run Run and they can kind of specify what what a person would coach. So like when you coach, you click, if you are willing to coach, you know, roads, trails, marathon, ultra 5k, and then like beginner, intermediate, advanced. And so you kind of specify what kind of coaching you're willing to do. And then people can narrow their search based on, you know, those specifications. And then they can kind of click on all the coaches that fit the qualifications that they're looking at. And then they can read the coach bios and kind of see if there's a coach that fits them. Um, recently I got an athlete who he wants to qualify for Boston by the time he's 60. And since he saw that my dad, you know, still does in these long runs, he thought maybe that would be a great fit. And so that's how we kind of, you know, connected. Um, and so, yeah, so that started three years ago and it's just grown. And so it's, it's kind of a great opportunity this year since I do have to take the year off from teaching to kind of have, um, something that I can do from home and then, do it while the girls aren't in school um, because my husband teaches and he actually coaches cross country and track here in sisters. And so he's away during the day and this gives me that chance to kind of work from the side, but also parent at home. And, um, and it's just been really neat because I've gotten, you know, there's some of the friends that I have, I've had almost since the beginning. So for a few years, we've gotten to work together and you just kind of form these friendships, which is really neat. And, when some of the races out here were canceled, I had a few different athletes who came out and wanted to run that loop around the three sisters. And so I would run up to the trail with like a heavy pack and bring them treats along the way. And I got to kind of be a part of their adventure journey, which was really special. That's cool. And I think that's actually how I heard about you because we have because Jill coaches with you, right? Um, yeah, I coach Jill, actually. Yeah. 
That's what I meant. Sorry, but you, yes, that she's one of your athletes. Two years ago at a race in Arkansas at a stage race and, um, and then, yeah, she contacted me a while back. So that's been fine. I've gotten to coach her on and off for a few years. So typically what is a, like, what does a coaching plan look like for, for you? Let's say like for, let's say a, like a low distance ultra run trail run. Like what would a typical, what would, what would you do when you're working with your clients? Oh yeah. So it really, it's, it's each person is totally different. Um, so whatever I do from one, it's like specified for that person in particular and their goals. And so we have to, you know, a lot of people that I coach are moms and I think they like having a mom because you kind of get, you know, just that running isn't necessarily going to be that top priority, but, and how to plan it around it with kids. Um, and so I try to, big thing is factoring in the outside life of what they have as well. And then working with them and finding like when, you know, when can we get the long runs in or when can we get the speed workouts in and stuff. And so it really would vary person to person. Um, you know, I, I have a girl right now that I've just started working with where she's in the ROTC and she just wants to improve her one mile and two mile time. So I've got, you know, that end, but then I also have runners who are, training for hundred mile races. And so what, what someone training for a mile and what someone training for a hundred miler would look like is obviously totally different. Um, I have a gal that she was on a boat for a month cause she's a ship captain. And so we had to figure out how to train when you're on a boat working with no days off, but you have a treadmill on the boat. And so it's, you know, getting really creative with, with different workouts and everything. Um, we, you know, we, interestingly, we had, um, our last interview was a woman who lives in Bend who coaches cycling, um, and she was talking about just sort of like the benefits of having a coach. And so if you were telling somebody who's like a runner at any level, like what, what would you sort of say that the benefits are to having a running coach versus just going, doing an online program or. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, part of it when you have a coach versus an online program is they're going to factor in, you know, you specifically versus if you just find a generic online program, you're not going to find something that's going to be specific to your own personal needs. Um, and right now I, I was worried with, you know, with COVID and all these races being canceled, that it would be harder to like, I might lose athletes, but I think right now a lot of people just like having some accountability and someone to help guide them through this time when, when a race isn't really necessarily on the horizon. So finding something else to help motivate them to get out the door, um, especially coming, you know, winter months, if you live somewhere where the winter weather isn't as great, it's so easy sometimes to just, you know, make running not that priority, but Oftentimes, if you have a workout scheduled and then you have to fill it in on your plan, that's enough to get somebody out the door. And it's also, I think it's really good just to have an outside perspective looking in. Because I, I find I was working with the coach for a while and I'm not right now, but I really loved it because I had a different perspective. Like I can, when I'm just doing my own, I tend to just get kind of in a rut and I'll just sort of do the same stuff over and over. And it takes someone else to kind of push me to do things that are maybe outside my comfort zone. Um, and so I think a coach can kind of do that to other people too, and just have someone who can look at it with fresh eyes of, of what you're doing and maybe see what you could do better as well. Yeah. And, and speaking of, um, you know, COVID and races, do you have, are you hoping that there's going to be racing next year? Do you have any specific targets that you're training for? Yeah. Um, you know, I, 
I, at the beginning, so back in March, I happened to be in Arkansas at a race kind of when all of this sort of went down and it was crazy because I went to Arkansas and we were out in the middle of nowhere. And five days later, when I emerged from the woods, it was like in that time, my girl's school had shut down, like everything, like in those five days went from a little bit of nervousness to like this kind of extreme. And we thought, you know, two, three weeks of this, it's going to, and then it'll, things will get better. And so you kept thinking, you know, oh, surely by this month, there'll be these races or surely by here. And so I've kind of, um, it throws you off because it's, for me, it's like, I like to know, I don't, you know, I don't want to like plan on a race and plan travel and then, you know, not have it happen, but finding some kind of goal to keep you motivated. I think I, for me, I do best when I have something and it doesn't have to be a race. Like I love an adventure or going for an FKT or a route that I've always wanted to do. So um, I think I'll have to sit down and kind of maybe make a A, B, and C list for next year, just not knowing which races will happen. And I haven't raced um, since March. And so it'll, there's this sort of weird feeling of like what a race will feel like again. And um, we've had a few happen out here local and, um, you know, I, everyone feels differently about races and whether or not to do them. But um yeah, I, I'm looking towards um, maybe planning some adventures if races don't happen. And I like to kind of find some, you know, long trails that you can kind of take on. And, um, you know, out where we are, there's, we have the Metolius Windigo Trail that I've always thought would be cool to try to do the whole thing or just putting together some routes. So that's enough to keep me motivated. And then if races do happen, it's kind of a bonus too. That's a so, great attitude. Yeah. Great, great way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a pr sort of a proudest moment or a proudest achievement in your running career? Um, yeah, I would. So um, maybe like three years ago, I ran the Ozark Highlands Trail and it's 165 miles in Arkansas. And that was just like an FKT run. It wasn't a race, but I think just that was the furthest I'd ever run. And so that had just a great, satisfying feeling at the end. Um, and then as far as races go, I mean, I think the first first hundred just suffering through that and getting to the finish line was was pretty um, special. And and I would say if I had to pick up, you know, maybe like the best race um, a, a while back, I did the Bighorn 100. And I think what made this one on top of just it going really well was I had run it a couple of times before I had kids. And they and the races had gone, you know, decent and well. But then I had both my daughters, and I returned to it afterwards, like at a whole different place in life. And to run it so much faster and so much better after having kids was kind of a nice testimony to like the fact that even though your training might look different, and how you run and how long you get to run might look different, um, it's kind of nice to know that maybe you can still exceed what you did pre-kid era a little bit. And so that one was just, I think that was also a, a good one because for about 40 miles, the first 40, I felt awful. And I just kept thinking it was going to be so brutal. And then to have it kind of turn around and um, and be able to make it end up being probably one of my best races was just to stick with it when it feels bad for so long um, that that finish line felt pretty, pretty special for sure. Okay. This just opens up more and more questions. The more you keep talking, the more questions I have. So like the 165 mile uh, Ozark Highlands Trail, how long does that take? 
to do 165 miles. Yeah, so it it took me 58 hours and I think 46 minutes. And the thing about that trail, because this one's in Arkansas, and um, Arkansas is just way rockier than you know something we have on the West Coast. And even though it is a it's a through trail, um, it's not through hiked as often as maybe you know it's not buffed out like the PCT or it's there. There's parts of the trail that are are really well used, like you know certain sections, and then there's certain sections that the only time they ever get used is when someone does through hike it. Um, and so it was it was so many down trees and losing the trail and just um, not having like a tread to follow that it was definitely like such a different experience than any you know trail that we might run out here on the west coast um and it has you know water crossings and it, it it was i actually the i just was back there not too long ago because i wanted to go again and try to beat my own time um and i i had stomach stuff really early and really struggled and that the irony is the first time i did it I kind of did it on a whim and I didn't, I had been injured and hadn't really trained for it. And sometimes I think when you approach a project like that without a whole lot of expectations and just kind of do it, it can go so much better. And then I trained so hard for it this time and I had a plan and I actually like knew what to expect and I had goals and I had like time goals. And then by mile 35, my stomach was just like, shot and so here you know one that you train for and it kind of goes south and then one that you just kind of show up and do and it was so much better and I think that's what keeps bringing me back to something like this and to the sport is that it's just never a given and you know you're never guaranteed to make it 165 miles and you just don't know what to expect and you don't know what your body's going to do and it's very humbling and that is part of the allure to it like I always, I, there was a, I think it was Tommy Nielsen who, you know, is a longtime ultra runner. If you're in the sport for a while, if, or he lives in Southern California, he had kind of said that if you ever get into a hundred, just feeling like you've got it made from the start, like that's probably a sign that, you know, something not going to go well, or, you know, you all, you have to respect that distance and respect that, you know, anything can happen over the course of a hundred miles. And basically it's like, don't get too cocky is kind of the, the, um, takeaway from it. And so I, I really like that about that distance because I feel like I've never totally nailed a hundred mile. And that's what kind of keeps coming, me coming back. Even when I like puke for 50 of a miles of them <laughs> next time, uh, frozen burritos, I would, I would say next time frozen burritos and you, all your stomach problems will, will be gone. See, that's my thing. Like, I, I swear if I had just gone out to that trail and just kind of done it as a, a, a training run, I could have eaten those burritos. And as soon as I have like a goal, my stomach just kind of goes south. <laughs> so two quick questions. Did you do the, the trail unsupported or self-supported? And, and I think you got, it sounds like you got the FKT, but did you get the FKT? Yeah, so I did it supported. And I, what's really special and neat about it is that the two main guys that supported me were the original record holders of this trail. And after they had done it, a female had broken their time going the opposite direction, but they kind of still held, and they don't really differentiate direction for FKTs, but they still held like that one. And this particular friend, he's also a race director of a race I go to in Arkansas every year. And so I've become good friends with him. And he volunteered when he'd heard I wanted to do it to like 
take on the crewing. And I could have never done it without them because I don't know the backwoods of Arkansas. I don't know like where to drive, how tell to tell people to drive in. And I basically just had to show up and run and they really helped with the logistical side. And it was just super special to finish that and have like the people who were kind of the, I don't know, the pioneers on that FKT be the ones to come support me. And um, it was just like a really, I had such a great crew and it was like a whole, I don't know, special like team thing. And um, yeah, so I did, I got the FKT and I still have it for females, but uh, last year a guy named John Harding came and he broke my time by an hour and maybe an hour and a half. And so it gave me an extra push to go back to um, and he, he's awesome. Like we chatted, you know, when he was going to do it, he asked me for tips and then he was rooting me on when I did it. So there's a, there's a neat camaraderie for something like that. Um, and yeah, so it, it was, both of them were, um, supported, um, attempts. What's the most fun ultra that you've done? Just sort of like atmosphere and people and vibe and just sort of like, just a race that kind of stands out as like, it was just fun. Even if it was a suffer fest or not, like just fun. That's good. I tend to really um, gravitate towards races that have a good, like low key kind of old school atmosphere. And I don't know if it's because when I first started doing ultras, like that was the atmosphere. Because 17 years ago, um, you didn't go to a race and have all the the press and the like prestige with any of them. They were all just kind of grassroots, low key races. And so my absolute favorite race um, is a race called Three Days of Solemo in Arkansas, which is where I met Jill. And I, I don't like the only ties I have to Arkansas is with running. It's not like I have family in Arkansas, but that race I first went to back in 2007, and it's a three-day stage race, and it's all about the atmosphere. Um, the same people come back year to year, and after you finish, you hang out at this campground, and everyone eats dinner together, and it's kind of like a big sort of family reunion. And they mix up the course a little bit each year. So you never quite know which trails you're going to run. And um, so I've come back to it. This was my 10th year doing it. I kind of took years off when I had the girls, but um, I've gone back almost every year that I was able to. And so I would say that race just is exactly what I love about ultras. Um, you know, people get lost every year because they barely mark it. It's kind of like you don't go in with this race attitude. You go in with like a, you know, we're all in this together. Let's, you know, get these miles done kind of, uh, you know, friendship thing. And I've made such good friends from that race over the years. And so, um, that for sure is, is I would take a race like that over like a Western States or something that's, you know, a different atmosphere for sure. Have you ever thought of trying to attempt to do an FKT unsupported or have you done unsupported FKTs? Um, yeah, I mean, I've done a little, like a 20 some mile FKT in Michigan that unsupported but I've thought of like I really would love to be able to do something like the Ozark Highlands Trail and do it unsupported and I my biggest fear is running at night alone especially out um, where this particular trail is if if I did have to get off the trail like where you are is extremely remote and I just don't know that I would feel comfortable wandering some of those roads alone <laughs> um, but at the same time like I I have a friend, um, a guy from Portland named Christoph Tucher. He went to Arkansas and did that trail and he holds the unsupported record. And I've always thought like, what would like, why can he do it? 
and he feels comfortable and why do I not feel comfortable? And it's definitely something I struggle with. Like I really want to feel comfortable out there doing it alone. And this summer I, I wanted to go backpacking solo overnight just to kind of, because it scared me to do it. So I finally did it this you know summer and I didn't hike in very far. I went to a lake and then my plan was to back, you know, spend the night and go for a long run. And I was up half the night with my pepper spray and my trekking pole at every sound that I heard. And I wanted so badly to be this awesome, brave, like independent person who's out backpacking alone. And the minute I see eyes outside my tent, I'm like the opposite of what I envisioned. Um, and so when I was out doing this recent attempt on the Ozark Highlands Trail, I ran most of the time during the day I was, I was alone, but then at night, um, I had pacers with me and I kept trying to think, okay, but I feel comfortable, you know, if I was alone out here, I mean, even during the day, it's very remote out there and you're, you know, if you got into trouble, like sometimes you wouldn't see people for a long time or it does have road access and then that can make me nervous for different reasons. So I love the idea of doing a big trail unsupported um, and I'm still working on getting my confidence up to do it. <laughs> I, I think you're right not to do that Ozark one though, because I'm pretty sure that area is haunted. There's like definitely like Civil War ghosts and like like all kinds of like dead witches that have been dead for a hundred years, like haunting that area. area. Oh, so I'm I, sure. And I'm you're sure probably smart to not do that one. <laughs> yeah, but maybe like maybe find like a stretch of the PCT or something that's easier to follow in the dark and more people travel. So I don't know. That'd, I should do so. I mean, my thought is, you know, aiming for something in Oregon where I really know the area. And I think just that itself would make me a bit more comfortable. Arkansas, I know from having gone there, but not living there. I just, you know, I'm not nearly as comfortable and able to navigate it. But, um, you know, I've definitely taken on more like by getting that Garmin inReach this year. And then I put Gaia on my phone and use it to navigate like I'm working on more and more being like safely independent out in the mountains. And, you know, people ask me all the time because like how I feel comfortable being out there alone. And during the day up in the, on the trails, I do feel really comfortable, especially if I'm on trails versus fire roads where people can drive in. Um, and so I, I feel like I've been, you know, running with some, some girls here locally and trying to show them different trails and just make them feel a little more comfortable running them alone because there's so much you know that you can explore if you're willing to to get up there and you know if you're willing to do it without someone with you but it's just you know learning how to do it safely and feeling your own comfort level as well too i mean it's kind of funny because it, 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 it's such a primal fear um and we addressed this earlier if anyone hears this and wants to listen to the nicole snell episode we did a while back she teaches self-defense for women and, and the backcountry help make them feel more comfortable. But I mean, it's kind of funny because statistically you're, you're way safer out there than you are, you know, driving on a freeway. You know what I mean? Like walking around a city. I mean, it's like, you know, they're really, it really is kind of a safe place, but again, it's, it's, it's easier, you know, to think of that rationally and a lot harder when you're out there and you, you hear like something rustling in the leaves or you, you know, you, again, you see eyes staring at you, but yeah, no, totally understand. And my year ago, my dad actually had a run in with the mountain lion that was really scary. Um, and I, you know, it's funny because I thought like just being a female, we have all these different fears. Like my husband doesn't have to worry. My dad doesn't have to worry. But then my dad was out on a logging road and he had a mountain lion come at him and it came all the way up to him. Even as he's yelling at it, he had to kick it in the head and it 
ran off and then it actually ran at him again. And it ended up being a really kind of scary situation. And then after that, it was like all these things that I felt comfortable with, I started kind of reevaluating some of that again. And he now runs with bear spray because it, um, it scarred him so much from that experience. That would be scary. Speaking of Nicole, um, I know that this will air at a different time, but Ashley, she's actually doing a free workshop tonight at 5 p.m. when we get off. Um, her Instagram is Adventures um, Adventures of Nick, N-I-K. It's about hiking solo as a woman. <laughs> so I, I totally will be the... You can, like, jump off this and jump on that one. Yeah. Yeah, she, and she's doing it with Hoka, so... Okay, great. Yeah. I know, I mean, I think it's really... I, I really want women to feel comfortable out in the woods and out on the trails, and I think it's, you know, an important topic to, you know, for females to share how they do it feeling comfortable. Um, and yeah, for me, it seems to be something that switches when it gets dark. Um, and I know other people have different things that scare them. So, um, yeah, I think it's good to practice our fears a little bit. And, and like you said, Jason, I mean, it's, it's probably more dangerous being driving to that trailhead than when you're out there, um, for sure. Oh yeah. It's totally statistically proven, but again, it's such a primal fear. And honestly, I'm much, much more comfortable now, but I remember when I first started, like I had a night like really remote alone in Glacier and it was like my, I think my third night ever even backpacking and I was by myself. There were like 70 mile per hour winds and all I could think of is giant bears and you know what I mean? My tent was shaking. It was really spooky. I mean, so so it is night and all that. It does take some some getting used to. Um, but yeah, you know, again, I, I think the more you do it, the more you do it and the more you kind of go out there and you test those waters the safer you feel, you know, you just get more kind of used to it and you're like, it becomes a bit more like second nature and that kind of thing. So I'm not saying that works for everyone, but I, I hope that works for you. So <laughs> my husband used to say that I had a bigger chance of dying in a freezer than I did getting eaten by a mountain lion because apparently maybe one person in Oregon died in a freezer and no one up until last year had, you know, been killed by a mountain lion. So, um, I would tell myself that sometimes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The only person in California that's ever been killed by a bear was killed by a captive bear. It wasn't even a wild bear. So it's kind of that we know of, at least in recorded history. So, I mean, it's kind of a funny thing. I mean, three people have been killed by deer, but no one's ever afraid of the deer while they're out there. You know, in you know. sisters, you kind of have to be scared of the deer. There are some crazy deer out here, <laughs> some really confident and bold deer. So there is a level of that. Well, there is, there is all the meth out there, so they're probably methed out deer. That's probably the result of that. Well, that's two drug references in one show. That's terrible. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> so you talked about adventure runs, Ashley. Tell, talk to me a little bit more about what that looks like. What, is, what makes an adventure run, and how does it you know, differ from like an ultra marathon or something like that? And... Do you prefer to do those sort of solo as solo excursions or, you know, do you ever do that with other people? And, you know, what, what are the pros and cons of each? Yeah. So I guess what I would call adventure runs are kind of planning these long um, runs, like sometimes around a mountain um, or maybe planning a, a point to point somewhere, getting maps out and coming up with the route. So I've done things like, um, running around Mount Rainier over a couple days with some friends and you know we we run 30 some miles and then we camp um or like the run around the three sisters or running around hood um and I often I have a running friend named Darla Askew who lives in Bend and she and I do a lot of these adventure runs together um one of our favorites that we've done I don't know, like maybe four or so times is we go to the Rogue River and you can there's a trail that goes along the Rogue River and it 
it starts at Grave Creek and it goes 40 miles down the river and it um, ends near this lodge called the Illahee Lodge. So we'll carry extra clothes and we'll run the 40 miles and then we'll stay the night in the lodge and then we'll run the 40 miles back up the river the next day to our car and that's like our big adventure. And um, so those those kinds of things where it's it's longer than your typical long run, it involves some kind of cool trail and um, you know, planning a little adventure out in the woods. <laughs> I love it. Did you, yeah. yeah. Did you do the Wonderland Trail when you, when you did ran around Mount Rainier? Yeah. So, um, we did it. My dad was actually one of the people I did it with. It was, it was years ago. I think it was even before I had the girls. Um, there was a group from Corvallis, Oregon, and we had one guy who drove and went to the campground and he'd kind of bring all our supplies. And so we would just run, you know, a third of the trail or so each day. And then a few years back, Darla and I tried to do it in one push and it was Labor Day weekend, and then we got kind of caught in one of those fluke snowstorms where all of a sudden it's just blizzarding, and um, we stopped at about 100K. We'd run into a ranger at probably like the worst time. It was at midnight, and it was, you know, snowing and raining, and he just kind of gave us a big lecture, and then about um, the glacier we were going to have to do, and then we were going to hit the glacier in dark, and so we kind of pulled the plug there, but it's kind of, sometimes it's all about just the adventure, whether, you know, you, you finish the route or not, but um, yeah. Yeah, Jeff and I did it last year, and it took us ten days longer than it took you. From what you're saying, if you did it in three days, we did it. In, we did it in thirteen days. So, but again, speed was not the goal with that one. So, yeah, we took a more leisurely pace. That's all right. You probably except for day two. Except for day two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Ashley, um, we'll obviously have information in the show notes, but can you tell our listeners where to find you and how to find you? And if they want to look into you as a coach, how they would do that? Yeah. So I'm on Facebook under Ashley Nordell, I think. Um, Instagram, Ashley E. Nordell. And then I coach through Team Run Run. And if you go to just the Team Run Run webpage, you can find me like you can look, um, I think you can even search coaches right on there. Um, and yeah, those are probably the three best places to find me. Awesome. awesome. Thank, thanks for being on, Ashley. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you guys. I hope that all the pounding above for my kids isn't going to totally mess up your sound. <laughs> haven't heard it. Yeah, no. Jason might disagree later, but for now we haven't heard it. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track Almost There is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. On our next episode, we begin our second year in a row of celebrating Women's History Month by giving you four full episodes celebrating women in the outdoors. Our first awesome lady is current JMT, unsupported FKT holder, mom, and nurse, Amber Montfort-Weibel. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>